All right, what's going on, everyone? We're back with a new little series here. Um, Sayer's back, so Sayer, thanks for being here. Yeah, glad to be back. We're going to start a seven-part series now on Generation Kill, so another HBO series. I think it started on HBO. I don't know. I just watched it on HBO. Um, we went through Band of Brothers recently, all 10 episodes, one episode per, and we were trying to decide what next. We looked at the two kind of main contenders were Generation Kill and the Pacific, and probably had equal uh, suggestions for both. And then as mm-hmm. Sarah and I were kind of dialing it in, I saw one more that said Generation Kill. So that was the deciding factor. So Generation Kill episode one is, is right now. Um, before we get started, I did want to say there's, you know, I've got something at the end of every episode that says, if you leave a review, that's awesome. It means a lot. It, it really does. Um, it means more people can find the show and, and hopefully enjoy it. But so if you get a chance, especially on Apple, I think that's the main place to leave reviews. Harder to do that on Spotify. Actually, I don't think you can leave reviews on Spotify. But anyways, wanted to call one out and say, or I haven't told you about this one yet, but from way back when you and I were talking about some of the repercussions for the MCO standing up against Sobel to Colonel Sink, and somebody commented, the sergeant in question was Sergeant Rainey. Colonel Sink threatened by saying, I'd have you shot. Mm. Pack up your stripes, pack up your head, you're out of my unit. Anyways, just wanted to say thank you for throwing that in the uh, in the in the ratings here. It was a five-star rating, so that's all good. Left by Grandmaster Sexy. I think that's French. There you go. Yeah. Sage, sage advice. Oh, that's awesome. Um, another note, we're doing this live on Discord. So we've got a group in Discord right now listening to this on the stage. The episode will come out about a week after we do the live recording. But with that, Sayer, let's get into it, man. Sure. You'd seen this before, right? Yeah, but um, I don't really remember it. I think I was, it was probably on and I was doing other stuff. So it's not like, not like being a brother's where I've read the book and watched it over and over and really took a lot of the lessons to heart this yeah i i i just remember it having to deal with early yeah, invasion of iraq with the marines and sort of the chaos and, and a lot of the life that is deployed life which you know first episode it, it jumps right into those sort of themes yeah so i hadn't seen this before and for anybody who hasn't seen it still it's a seven-part series on the invasion of iraq in 2003 follows a Marine Corps unit. Um, it came out in 2008, so it's a little over 10 years old now. And something worth noting as we get into it is, I think it's easy to kind of, we can easily group Iraq and Afghanistan together, but a lot of these guys, the vast majority of these guys in 2003 would not have seen combat yet. Technically, some of them could have been in Afghanistan, but we really didn't have very many conventional troops in Afghanistan until early 2002. The buildup for the invasion of Iraq was the end of 2002. It just, the timeline's not there. So really it's following a group that for the most part has never been in combat. Yeah, give or take. I think some of the guys probably because they were recon were, um, I think some of them were in Afghanistan at some point, but generally you're right. It's very early on. It's 2003. These, the people... It's important to note that this is like a, it's a recon unit. They're like more, it's like specialty unit. So 
you don't just walk right into these type of roles, which means these people have all, they all, they're not like your um, post 9-11 veteran. These people all enlisted before 9-11. For the most part, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and like sort of came up in the 90s. Or that's that Cold War mindset, at least, that pre-war on terror mindset in the transitional army that we had through the 90s. And um, it is, and even if they went to Afghanistan doing who knows what, that was all very brief at that point. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of people in a lot of action in Afghanistan yet. And then this is like full-on, supposed to be conventional warfare, just these units just rolling in, uh, trying to attack a military in March of 03 is what we're talking about. And I want to get into that for sure. I right out the gate. So this is fun for me because I haven't seen it yet. I think I read the book when it first, I think there, if there was a book, I feel like I read mm. a book called Generation okay. Kill. Um, but I was skeptical in the first scene because they were on it. You know, this is supposed to be the first scene of this new unit that's never been in combat. And they're calling out distance direction. They're calm under yeah. fire. There's aircraft coming in. And then it steps back and it's a training exercise. Now, ah, <laughs> okay. Makes a little more sense. They were incredibly calm for first time in combat was my first, uh, first impression there. You know, it's funny was, I agree with you. And again, because again, I forgot a lot of this, the, the very specifics of the, uh, of the series i forget all of that and um when i did watch it it was it was that time period like six months that i was at fort campbell before we deployed and that first scene did remind me of jrtc because it is like that it is really cool when um you get to like when you're playing army essentially and you do have those sort of assets where you're talking to the radio it's the first time you've ever talked to a helicopter um in sort of real life and they're actually shooting real rounds and your guys are shooting really like automatic grenade launcher machine guns. That's what they're talking about with that Mark 19. And that's why it's really cool because they get to do it for real. And, and yeah, nobody's actually shooting at them either. And you can see how they sort of joke afterwards when they take a casualty and, and all those things, because it is fun. I mean, they're driving around in the desert with Humvees shooting live, live rounds. It's, it's a great time. And that's not all the military is, right? Like even the cool training like that, that's interesting and, and fun to do. That's this little tiny piece, you know, leading up to that, these guys would have spent what, 200 hours driver's training across the unit. Yeah. Mass amounts of first aid, how many hours behind a Mark 19 and a 50 cal, which can be fun at times, but when you have to go for the 17th time in a year, it kind of starts to lose its luster. And all of these little tedious training sessions that build up to, you know, this live fire exercise they get to do in the desert. Right. Um, that's another point is, yeah, that, that's a very, it's very important to know that, that it isn't that majority of the time. The majority of the time is that the very simple training or just really simple maintenance, a lot of maintenance is involved. It's crawl, walk, run. And you're crawling for a lot longer than you're running. And so these are the culmination of months and months and months of, tra of training. So when I was talking about JRTC, I mean, that's, that's the grand, that's the big event before you deploy. It, it's culmination after months and months before you uh, get ready to take a month off and then hit the door and uh, 
deployed country. So, but they do happen. And when they do happen, it all comes together. It's, that is when it's, it's just, it's, it's a very fun time. You know, I thought was uh, pretty impressive when the platoon, when the exercise ends and the, and they're taking, they're kind of doing a quick AAR of what happened, what should have happened, what didn't happen. And they ask, why did we go about doing it this way? And the platoon leader says, that's the tax op. That's standard mm-hmm. operating procedure. That's what we do. And his soldiers say, you know, there might be another way to do it and draw something out in the sand, just on the spot. It's not complicated. It doesn't have to be. And they say, if this is better, why do we have to do it that way? And the fact that he listened to that, looked to his platoon sergeant, the gunny right there, who gave him a nod. And he said, cool, let's do it that way. It's better. Yeah. And it may not even be better. They might just be identical plans in the grand scheme of things, but it's giving them agency because they're the ones doing it at the end of the day. It's truck two and truck three. Those are their trucks. They're the ones driving it. Um, or they're the TCs or VC, the vehicle commander, whatever. They're the ones, that's what they're called. And, um, and another thing to know, so yeah, give them agency. And sure, it, it's, it's great that they, they are offering their suggestions. You want that. And then another thing to note with the whole SOP and tactics, they're always changing. I mean, th- this Humvee sort of open warfare invasion against a, a quasi army, but then you also might have civilians. It's hard to tell what's going on. There's, there's no uh, field manual for this type of combat. They, they're all sort of winging it with the equipment that they have, which is this um, ragtag, sort, still uh, Cold War setup warfare. And it, it continued to evolve. We, we got remnants of what they learned from the 2003 invasion um, to what we have now, but um, they were having to make it up as they go. And, and, a, and a part of that is not exactly following the letter of the law when it comes to tactics, because whoever wrote those tactics, they weren't sitting there on the Kuwait border getting ready to go into Baghdad specifically. They're more just broad tactics of, of of how you operate. And so the finesse is gonna be just the practice, what they were doing in Kuwait. And then once they get into it in real life, applying broad principles to very specific events. And, and you brought up something that I really like there that applies not just to the military. There's, it's one of those things where there's, I have so many more examples in the military, but it's something that applies outside as well, which is, I'll use the term delegation, delegating some of these decisions and ideas to other people because in a platoon it's not like the platoon leader has the best idea and the platoon sergeant has the second best idea and so on good ideas can come from anywhere so as Mm -hmm. long as you're open to listening to it and hear it out you're spot on man like I had a after I got out of the army I had a boss that was really good about when you brought him an idea he would unless it was going to ruin the company would say great go with that and then I had to make it work (laughs) Because it was mine now. And mm-hmm. if, it, if it wasn't going to work, I'd be quick to say something because I didn't want to just sit on this thing that was failing. But if it was his plan all along and all I was doing is executing his idea, not nearly as much buy-in. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. And um, of course, yeah, when, when people are, they just, it's a team game. It's a team sport. Every single role matters. The, the, the very lowest rank possible the private, the E nothing, let's say, that's fresh, 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 
guess what? They they tend to have extra weight that they have to they have to carry extra batteries. They but so there there's always and that's valuable. I mean, there's such a need for for that all that gear. We have to bring it. We don't want to have to bring all of it, but but we do, and we're moving by feet. And um, and the more and so even if it's the private to the team leader saying, well, we could pack it differently. Because guess what? That private's the one who has to carry it. And so you want those communications and that's tactics. It's just anything um, because that's the whole point of the team is, is the collective, which should make less individual struggle. So you brought up the point that it's, it's kind of this weird mix of cold war and it's, you know, again, it's so easy to throw Iraq and Afghanistan in this bucket together. And over time, there were some similarities with irregular warfare, unconventional warfare, but not the invasion of Iraq. That was not, there were concerns about, you know, Fedayeen and some unconventional style tactics, but this was a war war. Like the Iraqi military at the time, the numbers have been all over the place. I've seen as low as 200,000 to as many as half a million. They had tanks. Mm-hmm armored vehicles. There were some aircraft that proved to be taken care of pretty early on, I think I'll say. Um, But this was a force on force major battle. And I thought it was, it was interesting for me to think about these guys don't know for sure if they're going to war. Mm -hmm. There's not that many times I can point to where it's quite that close. You know, the if we go back to Band of Brothers, when they were getting ready to jump into Normandy, they were going to war. Whether or not the invasion got called off, there was a war to be fought. If it wasn't in Europe, they were going to go to the Pacific. Mm-hmm. Modern deployments since 2003, I guess you can make the argument. Everybody generally knows you're kind of building up for a deployment and there's a combat zone. You're going to go there. This wasn't guaranteed. And they had to sit there for weeks, some for even months, right. getting ready. And I think they did a good job of showing that mix of boredom, but excitement. Guys were chomping at the bit to go. Yeah. I mean, the Sergeant Major says that before they crossed, how there's so many Marines that give their left nut to be here right now. And that totally, especially at that time, March of 03. And even now there's still people chomping. There's people chomping at the bit that feel like they missed it for the, the GWAP wars that have sort of ended. Um all of that is true because there's that element of, well, back to the training. Yeah, there comes a point. Then you've been there, done that. And so you have spoke to the helicopter and, and called on Hellfire missiles. And, and then that, you feel ready. You feel ready to be tested. And um, it's just an odd anxiousness feeling to have. I think something that's interesting to think about here is these soldiers, and we're talking about them like, I'm talking about them in the same tone that we're talking about the guys in Band of Brothers. It, it was before my time. I was in high school when this kicked off. Mm-hmm. I guess we, we were in high school when this kicked off. But these are these are just adults now. Like they're still around. A lot of them are yeah. probably a handful of them are still in the military, right? Um, something that's interesting for me to think about is when we deployed, we were able to rely on a lot of other people's experiences. What's it like getting shot at? What's it like calling in airstrikes? What's it like calling in a medevac? Whether you had a, a, a good mentor or a bad mentor, a lot of mentors or one, there was somebody you could look to to kind of explain how things went. This, the invasion of Iraq, facing possible chemical and biological weapons there, and, and tanks, 
there really weren't very many people they could turn to and say, hey, what was it like when your Humvee got shot by a tank? It's, maybe it's good they didn't have anybody to turn to for that, but that entry level of war, you know? Um, Well, they were that for us, by the way. So this is the generation that first on the, you know, frontline generation in GWAT that racked up all those CIBs and everything. Um, This was them to us, especially like when we were in college and they came back as cadre and whatnot, if you think about it. Um, But you're right. But here's the thing that they also had as a flip between like, let's say us and them as these two generations, like they didn't have that experience, but they had the bravado of being like the straight up ass kicking U.S. Army that did Desert Storm. Uh, So like the whole Vietnam thing felt over. Vietnam is like back in it's in vogue now (laughs) talking about Afghanistan. But again, back in 03, though. Vietnam was like old news because Desert Storm proved it wrong that we could do it. And we straight up kicked their asses with this coalition. Um, and then you have this America was attacked, ass kicking, um, put a boot up your ass sort of attitude of America's undefeated. We're not exhausted from, from all of that fighting that ended up happening afterwards of the back to back to backs. So um it would be just, you know, we weren't there, but it, it would be a very interesting time. We know people who were there, though, right? And the, the exuberance, the exhilaration, because it was, even though, we, even though we were in Afghanistan because of 9-11, and there was some drama there with the Rangers doing a um, parachute or um, an airborne op, and then you had special forces on the horses. Those are all, like, not that many people. It's, it's very few people doing it. This is like 100,000 New World Order type shit. Tanks, um, just everybody online, full throttle pushing against, like, as you mentioned, a couple hundred thousand people, sort of, that you're thinking are going to defend the hold the line. And then again, you still had possible weapons of mass destruction in your, on your mind and Al-Qaeda type terrorism stuff. That still was in the air back then. So it's just a lot of unknowns back then, especially what we were being fed on the news and whatnot. I think I saw the number recently of over 450,000 U.S. service members were deployed for the invasion. Oh, wow. 450,000. Now, how many of those were in Qatar or in Kuwait um, or in Jordan that were supporting? I, I don't know. That seems like that number seems high enough that I feel like they're probably pulling in some support personnel from other areas. Um, That's a big number. And also not to downplay that there were some British soldiers there, Australians, Polish. Exactly. Yeah. Um, It was, I mean, it was a grand invasion and everyone is, and also in like the traditional sense too, they were racing to capture the flag in the capital. So it was all very like, oh, we know how to play these rules. These are the rules that we're supposed to play by. And we get this sort of game of this law of war. Let's get into the, what I think is going to be an interesting dynamic for the entire series is when the reporter, Evan Wright, I believe his name is, from Rolling Mm -hmm. Stone gets embedded with this platoon. And I thought they nailed it at least with the, inter- the, the initial interactions. The soldiers, 
before being in the military, I thought that hearing that a reporter was coming to my unit would make me excited. I can't wait. Everybody's going to hear about what we're doing and our picture will be in the newspaper. But it didn't take long for the reaction to be exactly what these guys had. They're giving him a hard time. And my heart rate elevated when he walked into the tent and they didn't change anything. They were talking the same way they were talking when he wasn't there. And all mm-hmm. I could think is like, ah, that's going to come back. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, honestly, the, the, it's funny because the honest, the, the inner voice in my head was seriously like, man, fuck this guy. Cause, cause that is the attitude of the reporters because you know what? They're out. They're just trying to um, have a gotcha line. That's what they're looking for. They become a liability because look, dumbass can't put his stuff on and he's getting left behind. And now a soldier's going to have to come save him if we get gassed. And, and then that soldier gets hurt and someone else has to go help him. I mean, that's literally, and that's what happens. Um, I think a lot of us thought that that's, the, by the way, the whole Afghanistan stuff with American civilians stranded. And I think a lot of us thought it was probably reporters and stuff that didn't heed all the warnings to leave the country. Um, and, but then uh, the other part of it is, okay, yeah, that's like front lines. You've got a job to do, which is like freaking invaded a country you don't want to babysit a reporter right um and you're into your you're a tactical leader on the ground and you've got a lot of stuff to worry about last thing you want to do is like now i gotta like censor my guys and babysit them when they're driving the trucks and they're manning the guns without a gunner shield going for baghdad where we're going to get gas this is bullshit yep that is the take however we have this series now memorializing these events because of that guy and he told the story in Rolling Stone, which, as they're making fun of, is not the typical, um, you know, the guys that go to the, the, the freaking uh, mill shop and wear the cutoff BDU cargos. Yeah, they're going to know all about what's going on with the military. But people that read Rolling Stone aren't necessarily spun up on that sort of thing. And so it, it is an important um, thing that people go out and do that and tell the story. And they're trying to do it as best they can. And, and some are shitbags, of course. But um, there's plenty of great work, and especially now looking back 20 years later after all of this stuff went down, plenty of great war journalists that have come out of this war that are just trying to tell the story. Yeah, it's a mixed bag, because if you think about the most stressful moment of your life, whatever that is for anybody who's listening, then add a reporter on top of that. Add somebody on top of that who's watching your every move, critiquing your every move, potentially, and you have to worry not just about if what you do is right to keep yourself alive, your soldiers and Marines alive and accomplish objective. But what if my guy tells an off color joke? Cause he's prone to do that. Mm-hmm. And in this audience, he can get away with it. But what about with the reporter? It's this added, just little something that you don't want added somethings in high stress situations. You want to minimize those things. Um, and, and you were spot on when they showed the scene of him having to, he couldn't get his mop suit on and they had to run out there and kind of gave him a hard time. That's real. That's mm-hmm. a combat unit changing. They're not going to leave the reporter out there. They're not going to do something to make him for him to get killed on the battlefield. They, they have to change what they're doing. This is a unit that's trained together for months and years, decades of experience combined in their leadership ranks. You, you can't just throw somebody in there and expect it to be perfectly smooth. It changes things up a little bit, but I think you said it well, it's, it's also really important that there's somebody there to tell that story. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And it takes guts, by the way. I mean, let's at least those Marines, they did train together for months and months and months. And they they knew what they were getting into and they were confident and actually, in fact, eager to be tested. Whereas the journalist, again, it's not that some of them come from that background, but I don't take it that this guy writing for Hustler before or whatever <laughs> um, came from that background. So it, it it does take guts. And we had we've we've had them. You and I have had them right there with us in hellacious gun battles as well, right with the troops. And um, it's an interesting dynamic, as you said, because it's a harrowing event where you have someone else sort of just there that have no authority not really contributing not contributing they're a liability right because they're not well trained it our guys were actually they could take care of themselves which was nice um they've done it before but um but you can just feel their presence at all times and know that they're there and you just i just kind of wanted to resent them always well they would also leave right they were in for a little while and they'd go home and yeah if they were with us for a month yeah it was the fear of taking something, you know, taking something out of context because the ultimate shame of look at making our unit look bad, you know, because we represent the 101st. Uh, and then, of course, just the U.S. Army, America as a whole. That's an important you don't want to be taken out of context. And that's the reflection that is the that's the scary part of. They just take one little snippet and, and you just. You have no control over that. And, and looking back to just that deployment, I had what, 15 guys in headquarters. I would trust every one of them with my life. Wouldn't trust any one of them one minute alone with a reporter. That's right. Like not one. It, it, I just. Mine weren't allowed to talk to them. I mean, it was just, they're not allowed. <laughs> they, and I didn't even know that was the rule, by the way. That was something like one of my NCOs made. I just, because the, again, they're making rules all the time. It's not my job to make every single rule that goes on in the platoon. Believe that. I don't want that job. Um, but I, you know, if I, I went over to shooting the shit and I could just tell that the way they were just stone cold, wouldn't talk. And I found out, yeah, they, they were basically ordered by their team leader to shut the hell up if the reporter's around. Just don't even talk. Yes. And, so you know, you, you hate to hear that too, because it's not a war story. These are all human stories. These are all humans behind every single rifle. And that's, that's an important piece. It is the piece. So to give a little context there, it, it wasn't a concern that they were going to tell exactly what we were doing because it was all, it was all above board. So that's the reason the reporter was there is they could ask any questions. They could be there for, they could see everything themselves. The concern with talking to some of these soldiers, my, my best example is one of them. Uh, whose last name was Williams, I'll leave it at that, uh, had our chaplain in the CP at one point, and the chaplain said, what are you looking forward to doing when you get home? And to the chaplain, he rattled off a list of things that I think in combination are only legal in Amsterdam and got pretty graphic with what he was going to do. And I was sitting next to him just thinking, come on, man. I don't know if he's just trying to get a rise out of the chaplain, but like I was blushing hearing what he had to say. He would have done that in a heartbeat with a reporter just to be funny. No filter. No filter. <laughs> yep. No filter. And that's some of our jobs is to be the filter. And that, that was the NCO's role. Their decision at that time was, you know, the best thing is to just shut up. Can't get yourself into any problems that way. 
So the reporter did serve a good purpose early on when the PX got them some stuff that they couldn't get themselves or couldn't get in quantity. And I thought that was interesting because mm-hmm. yeah, I can only speak for certain units during certain periods of time in the military, but it seems like a lot of the stuff in use is aftermarket. Is that the way to put it? Think of the baby powder we used in Afghanistan. I had a GPS that I bought myself because I wanted a different one mm-hmm. instead of the big bulky army ones, flashlights, batteries, so many things used on the battlefield are not army issued. Mm-hmm. That military um, gray doesn't, doesn't stand for a lot. Well, that goes back to the broad, they've got such a broad mission to deploy to Kosovo, to Kuwait, to Somalia, um, Afghanistan, Iraq. And so some of the stuff you would think would be, would have been thought of, especially it's really interesting now looking at the, um, the Humvees, how light skin those were like, holy smokes. Wow. Uh, and the guy, the Sergeant, that main NCO, I forget his, I can't remember his name yet. Um, he had to order like a titanium plate or something, which you heard about that happening for sure into the war. But the fact that they're ordering that, because you're talking about, hey, I don't like the big bulky GPS that's the size of a, uh, you know, a football calculator. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you want a smaller one. This is, this is, I'm trying to shield from bullets because I'm not even fully protected right now. I don't even feel safe. And that's, that's even a different nuance. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we even had guys that put like a, uh, we had a red dot, just a basic red dot and an ACOG. Those were issued. And not everybody got an ACOG. And most people would prefer an ACOG. And, but some people would buy their own optic. So if they had like a red dot, I know, like I had a guy who had an EOTech. Really? Yeah. And uh, people put EOTech on and that was sort of okay. So that is, oh, and then people would buy their own magazines. And, and it, so it's still, you got that, like you're saying, the mil spec. Well, those mil spec magazines are totally, they're, that's why your weapon jams. It's not the, M, it's not the M4 that's jamming. It's the magazine, those crappy magazines, um, which are mil spec, I guess. Mass produced. Yeah. Pieces of crap. I did like, I think they did a good job showing the waiting. They got all ready. They had their pizza party. They got their maps. They loaded up. The invasion's on, right? And then they sit in these trucks, in my mind, with no air conditioning. Oh, yeah. Baking. Waiting on a word. They did a good job of showing the boring waiting without having that scene be 25 minutes because it probably was hours um, Mm. or longer. Oh, yeah. Like, that's perfect. And back to that yeah they did a good job too of showing the um like the pl platoon sergeant relationship and by the way i don't know if that's a typo sort of in the movie the guy following the pl around like during this time when they're trying to figure out what the heck they're doing the guy going with the platoon leader is a uh, first sergeant like he's got the first sergeant rank but i don't know i feel like he's actually really? a platoon sergeant well yeah it's, but anyway, they're going back and forth in the meetings, and you can see all the sort of the officers chiming in, and then the NCO, his the right hand, essentially the right hand NCO, is um, he's sort he's always there, sort of stoic, and then they'll kind of chat afterwards and debrief, 
And then it's again, it's the lieutenant though that's might bringing up the issues or complaining about things like where are my maps, where are my maps, um, those sort of bringing those sort of issues up. And then the the, the meetings with battalion that you have with just this quick huddle of sort of you know these very small team leaders from each company or platoon at the company size element. I think it did a really good job sort of just showing that dynamic that you have, especially as this like, cause, and they did a great job with how for all these war movies, everybody looks so much older than they were. They're like 30 something year old actors. They're people our age. And we did this a decade ago. I mean, baby faced when we look at those photos. And I think that the show does a good job with that. The Lieutenant is a young guy. He doesn't look grizzled or anything like that. He, he's a young guy. And then the, the NCO does look older, but then you also have young NCOs. Um, like the gunny is, he's young. The, the actor, the Scar- Alexander Skarsgård, I think is his name. Um, he was a young guy playing that role as a gunny, which is all accurate. They're all only in their late 20s, early 30s at most for some of these guys. And um, I thought all that was like, they just paid a lot of attention to detail with that dynamic, which I appreciated. And then, um, oh, the, the last thing I wanted to mention, because you brought up the pizza party, something to note about this whole, we can already tell that the, the company commander is a little bit aloof. They call him Captain America. And maybe that is the first sergeant. Maybe that's why the first sergeant's walking around with this lieutenant the whole time. I don't know. But um, clearly he's aloof and he's eating his pizza. And for those that, let's say, haven't been in the milita- military or don't know this, but uh, just a golden essential rule 101 is leaders eat last. That is just beat into your head from day one of whatever training you were at, leaders eat last. And here what you have is the company commander saying you can have my extras or whatever before, didn't even find his guys to let him know that there's pizza first. And then on top of that also, forget about the eating part, yeah, he was sitting on information that he didn't even give out that would have helped them. Because the whole point, again, when you're in this leadership role is to help the people that are going to actually be doing the job. And so for him as a company commander, the people that are going to be actually doing the job are his platoons. And so you want to help them do their jobs as best as you can. And if you're shoving your face eating pizza before they've even eaten, that it's just, it's already foreshadowed a whole lot to me is what I'm saying. And it, it's a lot more than just the fact that he was eating pizza at that time. So that's what I'm trying to harp on. Yeah, there were like six. I took a note and said, is the commander supposed to be an idiot? Like, are they are they portraying him to be clueless? Because it was right. just enough of these little things that, you know, it's, it's, it's hard in one episode. It's an hour long. And you only have these little clips. Was it out of context? And then they start to build. And by eventually it's it's around the time. I guess it would have been the maps or maybe later when he said, by the way, we don't have armor support. And they kind of throw their arms in the air and say, important, important yeah. to share that with your guys. The Lieutenant's bold though. He's giving it back. At that, right point, at that point, he called him out in front of everybody. And that's a big deal. You're right. It's, you're not supposed to do that in a public setting. It's one thing if it was the company commander with all the lieutenants in the, in the office, that's a setting where certain things are said. But when you're out in front of everybody, enlisted folk, it's different. It's different the way you have to present yourself. And so that is a sort of, it's very, it's openly mutinous 
doing that. that and it's deliberate. Think, it's not accident. That made me think that the three or four things they've shown in the series were not the first three or four offenses, right? It, it, right. it, made, it made me think sure. that the Lieutenant's hitting a wall. Like, nothing's changing. It's just as bad. We got to call them out on doesn't make it right but yeah well remember as we've been saying as we've said they've been training for months and months and months they did the live fire so as we've seen these very obvious again things that a leader shouldn't do that are clear to us i'm sure they've been very clear for a long time with these with this unit so before long they start rolling into iraq and i just what a sight that must have been rolling across the border under nods at night column of vehicles as far as the eye can see tanks bradley's maybe aircraft overhead explosions in the distance like wow that had to have been something that's that new world order stuff just coming at you nato um yeah i've always wondered what that was like because you know we had the the senior NCO in our company, that he was on the invasion. Who was? Who was it? Landis. Landis. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Third ID. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I think maybe someone else was too, but he definitely was. And so I was just, just soaking in knowledge from him. He would have been, I don't know, a private back then or something, but he would have, that would have made either him a driver under nods himself or the gunner probably on, on the Bradley. And those are just, it's, it's all badass to me. Sounds like somebody we should have on here. He'd be good. Yeah, for sure. Good dude. He'd be good. Um, I like that while that's happening, I have one side of my mind going, Oh my God, how crazy would it be to see this thing? That very few people will ever see in their life. And all of a sudden somebody is told, wake up, you're missing the invasion. I thought, ha, perfect. So those little details they got right in the middle of this once in a generation experience of, of the start of an invasion, people are sleeping, soldiers, Marines, airmen, they found a minute. It was dark. Might as well get some sleep. You find a way of normalizing extraordinary circumstances and you just, cause you, you're living it. And so you just have to deal with it. And you just kind of, you have to normalize the craziness that you're in. And it's not, at least for myself, it's not till years later when I reflect, it's like, oh man, that was crazy, man. You just, the, the fact that you could be calm and sleeping on the invasion, or you could be calm and sleeping on a helicopter coming in on an assault, on an air assault at dawn. Um, but yeah, hey, sleep is precious. I mean, you definitely learn that. <laughs> you try to get it when you can get it. I think they also did a good job here in this episode of showing it's so easy in war movies and shows and even in books to view it as action after action, after action, after action. Like you cross that berm and it's a nonstop fight for 35 days or whatever, but they showed downtime of guys being bored, sitting in their trucks. Mm -hmm. They're in Iraq. The invasion's on. People are dying. They're not in the middle of a battle, but they're kind of waiting, kind of sitting tight. That's it happens. There's spikes of, of, of activity and a lot of downtime a lot of downtime and racist jokes basically there's a lot <laughs> of cards i mean there's a lot of that in this one um 
But I think what also they're showing that it's all sides, sort of, that um, they they kind of write each other off. And uh, it, but they're all, they're still horrendous jokes, though. And he, he reports what he sees. Um, because you do have this ragtag group of people from that that probably wouldn't be friends in real life. Yeah, think about point. it. I mean, they they who knows if they would like to hang out. I mean, so it might turn into that later, but when you just get thrown into a, a you're assigned from the US government, you have no choice in any of that. From a totally different state, totally different walk of life, play different sports. Um the only similarity is that you chose this job when you graduated high school. And, uh, and that, that means something, but, but they're just, everybody's different. And, um, that is what's interesting about this sort of the military experience is that, and that alone, probably that's what, at least it gets you out of your hometown. Um, but you still have assholes, you got jokesters and you got a lot. And by the way, everybody did volunteer on their own accord to do this crazy stuff. And they're all, you're heavily, I mean, they're saying kill every three minutes, right? Every, every time they do a team huddle, they break with kill and they're full of testosterone and want to go to, they want to go to war so bad and pull the trigger. And then you give them downtime. I mean, ugh, that's actually kind of, um, it's kind, kind of nerve wracking. They're like, you know, they were getting hurt doing things that they shouldn't have been doing, taking excess risk with that pressure. I don't know what it was with the, the, um, the stove, but they were jerry-rigging things. You just don't know. They were only jerry-rigging things because they had time to jerry-rig it. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a, back to the Band of Brothers episode. It's like the elation of the eagle's nest and all of that. Now they have alcohol involved. Now they're not fighting the Germans anymore, but they're all together with alcohol and they have nothing to do. That is not a great time to be a leader. I think it takes a while to get somebody up to that point of ready to go into combat, ready to go to war, um, whatever they're expecting, prepared to face whatever's on the other side of that berm. And when you face something, there's, there's a positive side to that because you've prepared yourself in so many different ways. When you get over that berm and it's quiet or silence, and that's not just right in this instance here, but on any deployment or any, probably in a lot of different aspects of life, you really, 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 really build yourself up to that moment. And then it, isn't as hyped as you think. Yeah, a lot can go wrong. Um, you know, but by the way, the reason it's not exactly, or it's not as um, glamorous or as hype as you thought it would be is because that's how well-trained you are. Because you've been there. It already feels like you've been there. And I think that's really important because back to the opening scene, when we thought that they were in the middle of the shit, no, they were just in a training exercise. Yeah doing it for real as real as you can get as close to real as you could possibly get is the goal over and over working your way up doing the little things turning them into big things and then turning that into coordinated with other people doing big things and um that can also create the boredom of doing this super sexy stuff that we probably the general public would be like holy smokes but because you've lived it and breathed it i mean you've they, again, they say kill every three minutes when they break. Um, it's embodying everything that they've trained for. It's like this. It's the culmination. 
So the name of this episode is Get Some. Perfect Marine episode, right? And all of this build up, all this hype, they do have a standoff with what looks an awful lot like an enemy vehicle full of enemy fighters. They get told to wave it off. They turn around mm-hmm. and go the other direction. And one of the Marines says, we're never going to shoot. We're never going to shoot. I just, it's an interesting line because we know, even when this came out in 2008, we all know that it hasn't even started yet. You're not going to miss this. These guys are going to be right in the thick of it for the next couple of weeks and months. um, Yeah, totally. But again, that goes back to the, um, the bravado of America mission accomplished that happened quickly after and all that crap, where we just thought that we were going to steamroll anything that came our way. We were number one desert storm. We had that attitude. And so that's why they thought, Hey, we're just going to conquer them, conquer them so fast. They're nothing. Um, we're going to miss it all. That obviously was not, that wasn't right. Um, it's, it's, there were other, um, another one that kind of foreshadowed to me again, this is a movie from 08 talking about events from 03 talking about, Oh, you're only going with your whole battalion only has one interpreter. And we're talking about all the interpreters now, like by the time that we deployed, there were, there was more than one interpreter per platoon. I mean, we had like five of them in the company when we, uh, when we were in Afghanistan and the need and how, how integral the interpreter was in our mission, which developed into the counterinsurgency which is what you were just talking about. That's why it wasn't a quick war. Is it is the insurgency that followed the war itself. The new world order war against conventional government was nothing. It was non-existent, but the insurgency was like, is it even over? Who knows? I don't, I don't know if we know that right now, Um, but going in yeah, with only one translator, when you've already talked about all the civilians and the farmers and people that might be dropping their weapons that did think of all the prisoners they already knew from desert storm how are you going to communicate with them so that was obviously foreshadowing and again that movie was from 08 already recognizing the need for that sort of cult the cultural advisors if you will um and then the quote of the uh, iraqis first contact with americans and we fucked them over when the uh you were bringing up the uh, the Iraqis, the Fedayeen, or not the Fedayeen? I think that's Colombia. No, you're the, right. Uh, is it Fedayeen? Yeah. Okay. Um, they were the bad guys, but then later the good guys came and surrendered, and just guy, that first. I, yeah, I got you. Iraqi military. The um, well, not the good guys, but the, like the guys trying to surrender to America. Gotcha. Yeah. They're not shooting. They're fleeing the guys in the trucks. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. I'll just, yeah. And uh, how the Marines turned them away because they were pushing on towards the war. And again, I think that that foreshadows the too much focus on that, the war side of it and not the people side of it. And just armchair quarterbacking the what ifs of focusing on all these people that are like trying to come under your protection and taking care of them instead of focused on all the bad guys. It's just interesting that the, the mindsets of, I mean, that, but that was our position. That was totally our posture back then. There's no way it wouldn't have been to have, of course you want this um, hyper-aggressive posture, 
Um, this I'm talking armchair quarterbacking after thinking 20 years of this counterinsurgency type stuff. Um, but they're just two different war styles. What they were geared up for with this pushing across the border with half a million type people with tanks and Bradleys, that's a entirely different war than um, the insurgency or whatever it popped off into. I like it, man. Well, I, I'm glad this one was suggested to get into because I really enjoyed the first one and looking forward to doing the second one. So that's going to wrap it up today for episode one, Generation Kill, called Get Some. Up next on War Stories will be episode two, The Cradle of Civilization. Uh, Sayer, thanks for being on here and doing this again. Yeah, this was a fun one. And we're going to go ahead and jump back into the Discord server for a little bit Q&A follow-up with anybody that was listening. But we'll see you next time. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to, to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.